Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to Unbothered with Josh Morani. Today, I'm going to be talking about Eric Bieniemy, how crucial this upcoming season is for him to get a new job. Cooper Cup credits Stafford for his breakout season, deservedly so. And then to pay or not to pay Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson. And then I'm going to get into the Boston Celtics' outstanding, incredible comeback win against the Golden State Warriors, what that means for the series moving forward. Uh, and then the Lakers hire of Darvin Ham. And then I'll finish up with the NHL playoffs as well. So let's get started. How about a couple of congratulatory mes- messages to more retirements, happy trails. Yesterday we had Ryan Fitzpatrick retire, joining them in this retirement train this year. 49er center Alex Mack has decided to call it quits as well after 13 years. Congratulations on an excellent career, one of the best centers uh, during the duration of his career. Seven Pro Bowls, uh, three second team All-Pro nods, uh, all-decade team for the 2010, uh, see, 2010 year. So he was just great, great, great. And it stops in Atlanta where he made the Super Bowl and lost to uh, Tom Brady in the crazy comeback. And then again, he was also in the Super Bowl with the Niners, lost to the uh, Chiefs, but just an excellent center, one of the best at the position. And congratulations uh, to Alex Mack. But that is a huge loss for the 49ers. 49ers, you know, had the center locked down. They have, you know, one of the best centers, one of the best, you know, the best left tackle, if not the best offensive lineman in the game in Trent Williams. This is now a big hole uh, because of the way they use uh, their offensive lineman and the running game, the way they kind of pull and, you know, have them spread during some runs, uh, that's going to be a very difficult hole to fill this late in the year. Uh, But, again, congratulations to Alex Mack. And then another retiree as well, Frank Gore officially retires, signs, you know, one-day contract with the – San Francisco 49ers to retire a 49er after 16 NFL seasons, you know, was the franchise leading rusher uh, for the San Francisco 49ers with, you know, over 11,000 yards, 64 touchdowns, and his 1,400 scrimmage yards are second to only Jerry Rice for the San Francisco 49ers. Again, never won a Super Bowl. Uh with his time with the 49ers, lost to the Ravens, had a lot of good years with them, but again, another player who did not win uh, with the Niners. And then, you know, he kind of departed, uh, didn't play as well as he kind of went through some teams, the Colts, the Dolphins, the Bills, the Jets. But in his prime, he was a fantastic uh, running back, one of the best. So again, Congratulations, Frank Gore, Alex Mack, joining Ryan Fitzpatrick 
in retirement. Now moving on to Eric Bieniemy. Uh He has talked about the reality that it's tough to not be a head coach, but he still loves what he's doing, uh, but he wants to go get a head coaching job. And I'm going to tell you, to me, this is a make or break a year. I don't know the reasons why Eric Bieniemy has not been hired, you know, the past couple of years. You could default to say that it is just, you know, Eric Bieniemy has did not set the system. This is purely Andy Reid's system. Uh, he's the play caller. He's the shot caller. So a lot of it funnels through Andy Reid. They found their diamond of a rough Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes makes a ton of great plays. So how much of it is really on Eric Bieniemy? You can argue against it, but I can say that this is a make or break a year because they no longer have Tyreek Hill. They kind of have, you know, average Joe wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster is not top tier. They drafted Sky Moore, who is has tremendous speed, uh, but the bulk of it's going to be Kels, the running backs as well, and we use uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire more. They signed Ronald Jones off from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we're going to see this offense shift uh, a little bit in terms of philosophy and their offensive system. Patrick Mahomes has touched on that. And to me, this could go a long way for Eric Bieniemy if there is no drop off in this system. Even if they don't make the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl. If there's no drop-off, I could definitely see Eric Bieniemy getting a head coaching job. I believe there's coaches out there that aren't as deserving as Eric Bieniemy. Take Lovey Smith, for example, the head coach of the Houston Texans. I mean, uh, someone who's been out of the NFL for a while, struggled in Illinois, and suddenly he gets a job. Eric Bieniemy, no. Uh, again, Jacksonville as well. Uh, I know Doug Peterson, he's a Super Bowl winner, more of a proven coach, uh, but still some question marks there. But again, Eric Bainemi has a big, big chance to prove himself this year and see if he can be a head coach. Next up, Cooper Cup credits Matthew Stafford, for his breakout season. And this is something I'll agree with Cooper Cup on. Because to me, Cooper Cup always, you know, was a good wide receiver, good out of the slot, uh, you know, good route runner. He was just a good wide receiver. Never made the Pro Bowl, was never a first-team All-Pro, was just a good wide receiver. Battled some injuries early on in his career. Uh but the last two years with Jared Goff, where he played a lot of games, he was just good. Then Matthew Stafford comes around, and people are debating if he's the best wide receiver in the league against Devontae Adams. And a large credit of it is due to Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford comes in. He gets selected to the Pro Bowl. Uh, he is the, you know, 
first-team All-Pro, led the league in yards, receptions, and touchdowns, snagged the triple crown, 145 receptions, short off of, you know, second most ever, yards, 1,947, second most ever, 16 touchdowns. So, again, brilliant, and you've got to look at the targets as well. 191 targets this year. Last year, pre-Matthew Stafford, 124 in 2020. Year before 2019, 134. But this year, 191 targets. One of the most, you know, the most targeted wide receiver in football. We talk about... um, Devontae Adams getting a ton of targets. He only had 169 to Cooper Cup's 191, almost 200 targets. That's just absurd. And a lot of that, yes, has to do with Matthew Stafford, a better quarterback than Jared Goff. And the fact that they hit it off, too, so well. You know, I felt like every Sunday night, Monday night, every primetime game, Every time Cooper Cup caught a pass from Matthew Stafford, all they did was talk about how much these two love each other and they would both be the first ones in uh, for practice, you know, eating breakfast and watching film together. Uh, So, yes, that helps. The friendships helps. Having a better quarterback helps. And this culminated into one of the best receiving seasons of all time for Cooper Cup. So to me, it's very deserving that, you know, he gives Matthew Stafford his flowers uh, for helping him with his breakout season. But we'll see if that continues this coming season when the Rams have a much tougher schedule, the toughest in the league. Defenses adjust. We'll see how the Rams look this coming year in about 97 days against the Buffalo Bills. Now, Kyler Murray is back at OTAs. It's not mandatory. He wasn't there at first, but he showed up. So the question is, do you pay him or not? And I'm very on the fence with this one. Considering the... uh, projections that I've seen, like the five-year 230, like uh, Deshaun Watson, a six-year, seven-year 280, I think that's a bit much. I think it's too much money for him. I think it's too long of a contract. Uh, Me personally, I would not pay Kyler. Now, you have the guys that argue against it. Well, you paid Cliff Kingsbury. Well, I wouldn't have paid Cliff Kingsbury either. So if your argument is, you know, pay Kyler Murray because you pay Cliff Kingsbury, sure, pay them both and you'll get the result that you got the past three years. They're not a Super Bowl team. He's not a Super Bowl coach. He's not a Super Bowl quarterback. And that's why I wouldn't pay him the big bucks. That's why I wouldn't give him a Dak Prescott, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes type of deal in terms of the money or the length because he's not on that level. And now I know you look at the metrics and, you know, he's only missed 
three or four games, most of them this year. Very accurate with the football. He declines in the second half of the year, but you can attribute, I'll attribute half of that to Cliff Kingsbury because he has a proven track record of doing that. But Kyler Murray, in the biggest games, doesn't perform well. Oklahoma, playoff game against Alabama, stunk it up. Stunk it up. Uh, because the year before, at least Baker took it down to the wire to overtime, and the defense is the one who really let Baker down. Uh, but Kyler Murray could get nothing going against Alabama. And you look at the big games this year, could have won the division against Seattle, and you lose that game. Uh to Seattle, who was terrible. And then in the playoff game, you look frazzled. You're running for your life. It's not a good look, especially if it's a Monday night playoff game. All the eyes are on you. And you look terrible. Look terrible. Look absolutely lost in that situation. That's why I would not pay him. Now, the argument is, well, Aaron Rodgers doesn't really perform in postseason games now. Yes, that's true. I 100% agree with that, but he is a better quarterback. He's got four MVPs to his name. I don't ever see Kyler Murray winning an MVP. I don't even see Kyler Murray ever going to the championship game in the NFC, let alone a Super Bowl. Yes, you know, he's got the, uh, he's got accuracy, but there's more than just accuracy, and throw throw power to a quarterback. There are intangibles to the quarterback. There is pocket awareness. There's leadership, a big one that he's missing. You know, and because of those couple of reasons, I don't pay Kyler Murray. Is Kyler Murray in the same conversation as Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? No, he's simply not. And that's why I don't pay him. Now, I know know, Arizona's first playoff appearance in the past six or seven years, because they haven't been good. The quarterback's always been a struggle for them. What more is it going to take? I don't pay Kyler Murray. If you want to extend him a year or two, give him another chance, you know, if you think this could be Cliff Kingsbury, you know, you fire him, you try with a different coach, that's fine. But you do not want to be tied tied down to a contract that works against the organization with a quarterback that is not an MVP caliber quarterback. You simply don't want that. Because then he's unmovable. You become a Carson Wentz where you have all that a big dead cap hit. And you don't want that. That's why I don't pay Kyler Murray. He hasn't shown me enough to say, hey, he's going to lead this team to win the division. And all credit to the other teams. That division's tough, aside from Seattle. Rams are tough. They're coming off a Super Bowl win. 49ers are tough. And the Cardinals do a pretty good job against the Niners. But still, I don't pay Kyler Murray. He has to show me that he has to win a playoff game, win the division, do something to back up this contract. I just can't give him a contract based on a projection, a hope that he can take me somewhere where he has never been 
before. Next on the list of quarterbacks not paid, Lamar Jackson. Didn't even show up to OTAs. Now, do I pay him or not? I, I'll pay Lamar, because I'm not paying Kyler. I'll pay Lamar, but I'm not giving him a long-term deal. People are talking about giving him a Mahomes-like deal. you got to remember, a Mahomes deal was 10 years long. 10 years, like $500 million. And because of the way it's constructed, they can restructure it. It's actually a pretty cap-friendly hit. But it's 10 years. I see Patrick Mahomes. I think that he signed that two years ago. I see him lasting another eight years. He doesn't run the ball a lot. Uh, he throws. He checks it down. Doesn't take a ton of hits. He's a smart quarterback. Lamar Jackson, on the other hand, has dealt with a lot of injuries. Why? Because he is a running quarterback first. Missed half of the year last year. I don't get him a Mahomes-like contract for 10 years because I don't see him making it for 10 years. I'm sorry. I don't see him lasting another 10 years in the NFL like he was an MVP two years ago. It's just hard for me to imagine. Uh, when other quarterbacks more dynamic come in, faster come in, uh, you know, you see the game plan against Lamar Jackson uh, work, you know, especially since they have no wide receivers, he has no help. So to me, you can't evaluate the throws of lap this year. I've been critical about Lamar because he doesn't have tremendous arm power, doesn't have elite accuracy. He won the MVP based on his rushing metrics. And I'll give him credit for that. He can scramble. He can run. But again, as I go to a job description, the job description as a quarterback, those have always been secondary responsibilities, scrambling and running, the you know, accuracy, precision, the throw power. They've always been, you know, needed job descriptions uh, or, you know, skills for the job. And he just doesn't have that. And I think it's a little too late in the game uh, to now have that. I know he's got Mark Andrews, who's a terrific tight end, but he's going to need more than that. I'll pay him, like, DAC money for two or three years. But you've got to be crazy if I'm giving him 10 years because he ain't worth it. He ain't worth the headache of a 10-year contract, the injury risk of a 10-year contract, the decline of a running quarterback for a 10-year contract. I ain't spending money. That, or my bad, I'm not spending that much time on Lamar Jackson. And when you look at the AFC just roster-wise, they need to get Lamar more help because the Cincinnati Bengals are more talented around uh, Joe Burrow than the Ravens are against Lamar Jackson. Heck, even the Browns and Deshaun Watson are more talented, you know, have more talent around him. Wide receiver, running back, offensive line than Lamar Jackson. So are the Bills, uh, the Chiefs, the Raiders, Broncos, Chargers. All those teams are ahead of Lamar Jackson. Now they can go out and get Lamar Jackson help and see if, you know, 
he can prove me wrong, but everybody likes to mention the Las Vegas Raider game, or I believe it was where he threw for 443 yards and say, you know, I'm sick of people saying that, you know, Lamar Jackson uh, did that and you still consider him a running back. Well, I'm glad you just want to reference one game because how many other times in his career has he thrown for 400 yards in a game? Just that one time. Just that one time he has done that. So, again, I'm not giving it to him. Uh, sorry, Lamar, but it ain't happening. I'm not giving you the duration, anything like that. You don't get a Mahomes contract. Uh, you're not paid like Mahomes. You're not Mahomes. You're not a Super Bowl winner. Uh, Super Bowl winners get Mahomes-type level money and contract and duration. You are none of the above. Yes, you won an MVP, but you haven't made it to a conference championship. You haven't made it uh, to the Super Bowl. So because of that, Lamar Jackson does not get paid that long by me. I'll give him a short-term deal to shut him up, and that's it. And then he's got to prove that, hey, I'm deserving of a long, longer-term quarter uh, contract, and then we'll talk it out. Now moving, shifting to the NBA. Last night, Celtics-Warriors game was phenomenal. I said the Celtics were going to win that series, win that game. And the first three quarters of that game, I was very nervous about my pick for the, not only the game, but for the series. Uh, because Steph Curry was lights out in the first quarter. Six threes in the first quarter. 21 points. But they only had a four-point lead after the first quarter. It was all Steph. And you think, wow, you know, the Boston Celtics managed that early barrage. They did. Curry had an excellent first quarter, but they weathered it. Second quarter, Steph Curry sits for half of the quarter, which was too long. You need your best players playing more. He was high. He was in rhythm. Then Curry doesn't score at all the second quarter, sitting out the first six minutes. Boston comes back, and Boston has a, has a two-point lead. So you look at that and say, that early quarter was wasted, and now we have to play catch-up. But we know Golden State prides themselves on the third quarter, coming out at halftime, much more locked in than the other team, plays better, and shoots them off the court in the third quarter, runs it away, that's just been the calling card of the Warriors under Steve Kerr, you know, since their 2015 run, uh, that the third quarter is Golden State's quarter, and they outscore the Celtics by 14 points in that quarter. They have a 10-point a lead or so, 12-point lead, and now we're heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, Steph has made seven threes. They're feeling good. He's showboating. He's running around. He's 
doing what Steph does because he thinks he's something. And I'm beginning to worry there. And Jalen Brown and Al Horford just go off. Jalen Brown specifically was great. He started the run uh, with the three. Then you had Derek White hit big shots, and everybody got in. Pritchard hit shots. Al Horford hit threes. Marcus Mark came in and hit threes. And Boston outscores the Warriors 40-16 to in the fourth quarter. A 40-16 and run in the fourth quarter to win the game 120-108. to He was great. Jalen Brown was great. Uh, Jason Tatum, and it was all in spite of Jason Tatum, who stunk it up. Jason Tatum was had 12 points on 17 shots, 3 of 17 from the field. Missed two free throws, 5 of 7, only made one three-pointer, 1 of 5. He had 13 assists, but still, the 12 points, Jalen Brown was by far your best player. And it got me thinking that, hey, if we're evaluating the finals MVP after one game, that award is going to Jalen Brown. It is. Had the second, had the highest uh, plus minus of any Boston Celtics starter and any starter on the court. He was great. 24 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals. In a block, I mean, he did it all. He had his fingerprints on this game. He was dictating it. Uh, the mid-range as well. Uh, Andre Mon was nasty. I mean, this was a great job, great coaching job by Ime Udoka, who held in there, held in their strong weather to run, and the Boston Celtics just believe. Al Horford, first time in the finals, 26 points. Six of eight from three. He was phenomenal. The Boston Celtics, outside of Jason Tatum, were great. And then the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, first quarter was great, and then cooled off 13 points the following three quarters. And in the fourth quarter, absolutely disappeared uh, altogether. Clay Thompson... Wasn't involved enough. 15 points on 14 shots. A rather inefficient. Andrew Wiggins was all right. 20 points. Uh, Draymond Green was terrible. I'm sorry, but he is not an offensive force. He can't make a bucket to save his life. Four points on 12 shots. 12 shots. He was 2 of 12. They let him shoot every three that he could. Uh, 0 for 4. Didn't make a single free throw. That just can't happen. That just can't happen. And Boston realized that, that, hey, if they're going to kick out to Draymond and Draymond somehow out there, we'll take the shot. We'll let them have it. We'll we'll foul them and we'll make them hit free throws. That's who he is. Uh, He is not a good shooter. If it wasn't for his defense, if it wasn't for his defense, we would be talking about Draymond Green the same way we talked about Russell Westbrook. Because Draymond's got no shot. 
brick after brick. And that's what the same thing we say about Russell Westbrook. But Draymond Green's a defensive player of the year candidate, and Russell's not. And Draymond's on a winning team, and Russell's not. So that's where the narrative changes there. But don't give me this Draymond is special kind of guy. You want to hype him up as an enforcer, a glue guy. Uh, but he just is not, you know, that guy. He's, he's got to work on his shot. So Boston, again, much better. They took less shots than the Warriors, but were more efficient. Made over 50% of their shots from three. 51%. 21 of 41. Made more threes than the Warriors. That's a recipe for success. Um, more free throws than the Warriors. More uh, just a recipe for success. The one thing I am concerned about was the often was a uh, was the rebounds, offensive rebounds. Golden State's twelve to the Celtics seven. They had thirty nine apiece, tied in that department. That had me worried, especially when Looney uh, was getting a lot of rebounds. I was thinking like, hey. Al Horford, why don't you get him this? Robert Williams, why don't you get him this? Ime Udoka, why aren't they in the game with Tavon Looney? Uh, it was questions like that because you can't let Tavon Looney dominate the boards. Well, you saw what he did against the Dallas Mavericks. He was great, but that just can't happen in this series. Boston's going to have to be better on the glass. It's, uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, but both teams, Golden State, their biggest lead in that third quarter, 15 points, looked like they were dead. But Boston, I'll give them credit coming back. They took a 15-point lead uh, until the dying seconds, uh, three at the end of the game that was sort of meaningless. But the Boston Celtics weathered the storm. I'm so happy. Boston Celtics are three wins away from the NBA Finals. Please beat the Warriors. Of course, the Warriors are fine. They're taking it one game at a time. You know, saying all the right things, it's the best of four, not to one. So I'll give them all that. But I'm happy that Boston's off to a good start, especially when it was looking over for them. Like I said, is a team... Their depth matches Golden State. Give me Boston in the series. Steph Curry, not on track to win a finals MVP. I'm sorry if I had to do my finals MVP ranking right now. It goes one, uh, Jason or Jalen Brown, two, Al Horford, three, Derek White, because Without him making big shots, he's stopping the runs. Uh, and then shot clock expiring, throws it up, makes it. Celtics, you know, don't win that game either last night. So it was those three guys. And then fourth, I'll put Steph Curry. And he's lucky to be there. Uh, but Andre Iguodala was back. Particularly, he had, you know, one shot other than that. Uh, looked sort of lost. Uh, and then Otto Porter, you know, came in, made a couple threes, but was bad defensively and bad on the court. Minus 18, only person worse than him was Jordan Poole, uh, who had nine points and was a minus 19. Those two guys cannot share the court together and they share the court way too much. 
last night. A couple of defensive liabilities is what they are. Uh, Jordan Poole looked lost in his first finals game. Uh, two of seven, one of five from three, the half court uh, or the three-point buzzer beater attempt at halftime was atrocious. Hit the top of the backboard, the top of a backboard and had to bounce out. So uh, Jordan Poole is getting a taste of his first finals in a uh, tenacious Boston defense. And Golden State is the team that looks overmatched, overwhelmed. The experienced guys that we were talking about in Golden State look outmatched by the younger Boston Celtics team. It's a young man game, and if Golden State loses this series, I do think they're going to have to evaluate their roster and what is needed for them to win it. Looking at you, Draymond Green. So with Game 1 going to the Celtics, Game 2 is Sunday. Who do I like in that? I like the Boston Celtics to win Game 2. I really do. Uh, I think Boston can actually win the series in five now. Uh, This game, to me, was very reminiscent of, I believe it was game two, uh, Warriors and uh, Mavericks, where the Mavericks had a big lead, had, I think, a 15 a point lead in game two, actually a 19-point lead, and they lost in the third and fourth quarter and lost by nine points. It was a demoralizing loss for them. Then the following game, uh, they lose, and it was over from there. I see that happening in this series. The This last loss, it was demoralizing. It would be different if it was kind of a back-and-forth, you know, within five points, and, you know, Boston made a clutch shot or two at the end of a stretch, and you just tip your head to them. But Golden State choked it away, and Boston seized control at the same time. So with that, with Golden State blowing a 15-point lead to Boston, Boston with the momentum, Golden State looking shocked, I'm giving game two, to the Boston Celtics. I think they win. I don't think Jason Tatum plays as poorly as he did yesterday. I don't think Grant Williams is not as involved as he was yesterday. And because of that, game two goes to Boston. And they return to Boston up 2-0, which would be huge for Boston because in the playoffs this year, they are a much better road team than they are home team. So from there, I can see Boston splitting it with the Warriors, Boston being up 3-1, and Boston winning in five. But I'm still going to say Boston in seven, but I can still see the Celtics winning. I can see the Celtics winning this series in five games. Uh, They are a good team, uh, lots of depth, uh, and the person I feel happy for the most is Brad Stevens. Uh, you know, who has, was terrific in the role as team president this year, made the terrific hire in Ime Udoka, Brad Stevens. Trips to the conference finals, could never get over the hump. Goes up there, 
let's see may take over and now they're in the NBA finals boston just just terrific now moving on to the lakers and their hire of darvin ham good hire or not i like it rob palinkas praised him as a no nonsense hard working sort of guy i think darvin ham is great He's a younger guy, 48 years old, was an assistant with the Lakers for two years with the late, great Kobe Bryant. And then the past nine seasons, he has been with Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta and in Milwaukee and has an NBA championship to show for last year. To me, he, he brings toughness, you know, brought toughness to Giannis, uh, helped out the Milwaukee Bucks tremendously. In that run, he was the favorite uh, to me of the, you know, interviewees, the Kenny Atkinsons and the Terry Stotts and all them. I like Darvin Ham the most. LeBron liked Darvin Ham the most. And when you look at the teams the other coaches represented, uh, you know, a Toronto Raptors assistant, a Trailblazers assistant, you know, the former uh, – Nets coach before Steve Nash, Darvin Ham just felt like the right fit. I think he's the right fit for LeBron James the next couple of years. Uh, and I think this is going to work out for the Lakers. Of course, the key is Anthony Davis getting healthy and what to do with Russell Westbrook. So what would I do? This is what I would do if I was Darvin Ham slash Lakers slash Rob Palinka. I would trade AD, Russell Westbrook. It would actually be this. It would be a three-team trade. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, And it works out favorably for a lot of teams. I would send in this three-way trade AD to the team's name. AD to the Heat. I then get back Bam and I take on Duncan Robinson's contract. Not an attractive attractive contract, but I get Bam, who's a younger option, slightly than AD, much more healthier, uh, and can use him as a defender. I get Duncan Robinson's not that great contract. I absorb that. It works out for me. And the Heat get a superstar to pair with Jimmy Butler, a legit superstar who offensively is an upgrade over AD. Then I send their first-round draft pick to uh, that I would get. I would send to the Knicks, and I would send Russell Westbrook uh, to the Knicks as well. And I would get Julius Randle back because the Knicks can then go into a rebuild but can still sell tickets with the – with the attraction of Russell Westbrook, who people will go there to either cheer for or to boo. But they get a first-round draft pick uh, from the Heat. And, you know, the Knicks, to me, aren't going to be competitive for quite some time. So they take on that. It just remember, remember, it's just one year of Russell's deal. That's it. You get the extra draft pick as well. You probably don't play well, but then you can cut them loose. And then you have possibly a very high draft pick, which is your own and then the Heat uh, draft pick. So 
you could have a nice young team because right now it's a mix of you know younger players the Cam Reddish or R.J. Barrett with the older players the Kemba Walker or Derek Rose. Julius Randle somewhere in the middle, Evan Fournier. So it's a bit weird dynamic, and they really need to pick a dynamic. So that's my mock trade if I was the Lakers, what I would do. And I, it, it potentially works out for all sides, uh, consider. Uh, then, you know, of course, the Lakers, uh, they will need a point guard, but you have uh, LeBron James, you have Duncan Robinson, uh, Julius Randle, and Anthony Davis. That's a good four. And then you just pray that Kyrie Irving leaves and uh, he joins the Lakers, which I think is a possibility. And then the other possibility is Kevin Durant. He's been linked to the Mavericks, the uh, Suns with the highest odds. But there's a recent Suns trade that I saw, which I think works out. Uh, And it's a simple trade. It's the Suns trade Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton to the Portland Trailers for Dame Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, I don't see either team's win totals for passing. Uh, I think Portland does this if Dame requests a trade. It works out for the Suns because I think the relationship with DeAndre Ayton has deteriorated. So you sign his contract and a sign-in trade. You ship him off to the Trailblazers along with Chris Paul to pair for a superstar. There's been reports of, you know, they will trade Chris Paul and package him with Aiden for a superstar. You get Damian Lillard. Now he's not, you know, doesn't have the handles like Chris Paul, but he can shoot much better than Chris Paul. Lethal backcourt, Dame Lillard. And uh, uh, Devin Booker, you keep your young core of uh, Mikhail Bridges uh, and Yusuf Nurkic, to me, is a little bit underrated, can be a force uh, at times. There's no DeAndre Aiden, but he's no slouch either. So I think that works out for them. And then the Trailblazers enter their full rebuild mode, uh, but they do have a former number one overall pick in DeAndre Aiden signed to a deal. So you're kind of going to help him out with your future draft picks and with Chris Paul. The way his career has gone, never really loses and tanks. So you're still going to get some value, whatever it is, out of Chris Paul. And if you need to trade him again, that might work as well. Now moving on to the NHL. Yesterday, the Avalanche take a 2-0 series lead on the Edmonton Oilers. And I'm calling this series over. I am. Uh, Kadri, three assists. McKinnon uh, with a goal. You know, to me, this series is over right now. Uh, McDavid says he's struggling. They're struggling. Uh, Mike Smith, I'm sorry. Again, not good. The Colorado Avalanche are the superior team. Now, you know, you have the question of people talking about McKinnon. And McDavid, and I'm rooting for McKinnon because, you know, he's not on the same level as McDavid, but people want to compare now that if he gets a ring, you know, can he surpass McDavid? I don't see it. I want you to know this. Nathan McKinnon, Nathan McKinnon 
has been in the league since 2013. And Connor McDavid joined the league two years later in 2015. And Connor McDavid has 697 points, 50 more than that of Nathan McKinnon, 648. So like I said, McKinnon's played two more years and about 150 more games. Connor McDavid's 47 to McKinnon's 638. So no, this one ring will not surpass McDavid. I'm sorry, as an individual talent, that's still going to Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid, who has uh, two MVPs, three Ross trophies as a top scorer, he has it all. Uh, he's just great. Connor McDavid, you know, outside of his rookie year where he battled in injuries, only played in 45 games. Uh, since then, He's had one season, less than 100 points, and four out of those six seasons. He's led the league in points at 100, 108, 105, and 123. Whereas McKinnon has never touched 100 points in his life, has never made the triple-digit mark. So, no, I can't say in good conscience that if Nathan McKinnon wins this series, he vaults over. Connor McDavid. Now, this could be used in legacy depending on what happens, but give me a break. Connor McDavid, individual talent, I would take him over Nathan McKinnon. Now, defensively, I'll factor in that. I'll give that to McKinnon. But offensively, McDavid is worlds ahead of McKinnon. That's why I don't want McDavid to get a ring. But this series, it is officially over. I know it's 2-0. Uh, Colorado, it's not officially over yet. But in my estimation, this series is all but over. I had Colorado going to be uh, Stanley Cup Finals. And I believe they'll be represented there. I said in five. I like it in five. Still, they're going back to Edmonton. We'll see if Edmonton puts up a last-ditch uh, effort. Or not, but to me, this series is over. Then you have the Lightning and Rangers tonight. The Lightning lost last game, but the past 18 games that they have lost, they have won the next game. So I believe this is going to be number 19 out of the 19 games that they lost. They've won the next. I have Tampa Bay winning this game. Uh, they were thoroughly outplayed, uh, you know, with the rest, it's always a 50-50 shot. Are you well-rested, well-practiced, and ready to face a game? Whereas the Rangers are coming off were coming off a game Monday when they played Wednesday. So they really had, you know, one day rest, and that was it. But they were playing much harder where Tampa Bay were much slower. I have Tampa Bay winning this game. I think they're going to be back on track. A lot of bounces to me also went the Rangers' way in game one. Uh, controlled, you know, of a puck possession very well. Entering into the zone cleanly. Power play was better. Uh, they just dominated Tampa Bay in game one. Don't see that happening tonight. I've got Tampa Bay winning. I'm still with them winning the series. 
I believe Tampa Bay Stars show up tonight. Steven Stamkos, Hedman, uh, Point, Kucherov. Uh, it's too much for Warriors. Somebody else needs to beat Shesterkin other than the Pittsburgh Penguins when it was last in round one. So please, Tampa Bay, please, please win this game. I'm going to Florida, leaving for Florida tomorrow. So I want to have people in a good mood when I'm there. And Tampa Bay needs to win. Now going to finish up with the NLB. Where the Philadelphia Phillies have fired their manager, Joe Girardi. He's out, but is he deserving of getting fired? Yes and no. You know, it's only been two seasons. It's a relatively short stint in baseball, but they spent a lot of money. $233 million this year, uh, fourth highest because the Phillies want to win. They have the stars. They brought in Kyle Schwarber, Nick uh, Castellanos uh, to hit uh, Bryce Harper. They got Didi Gregorius, Reese Hoskins. They got offense. But they're the worst defensive team in baseball. Their rotate or their bullpen is not good. So, yes, they can bring offense, and they have a decent starting rotation uh, Rotation with Zach Wheeler, a Cy Young runner-up. But, you know, the defense is not good. The bullpen is not good. So can you place that all on Girardi? He's been there two years. General manager really sculpted this team together. You know, I was not going to say that they're out of a woods yet uh, lately. It's not look good for Philly, uh, you know, and I just think it it's tough for the NL, especially because there are clearly better teams than Philly that even if they were treading above the 500 mark, I like St. Louis more. I like San Diego more. San Francisco, those are the three teams, and I don't think Philly is on that level with those other teams. So, with that, I get it. I get why Girardi's fired. I would have given a bit more time, two years for MLB. You know, it's not a lot, but, you know, you're hoping with that firing to send a message and say, hey, you need to improve right now. That's what a mid-season firing is and should do. So, we'll see if they turn it around and, you know, go on some tear or finish much better. Because if they don't, it's not an indictment on Joe Girardi. It's an indictment on the players uh, and the system, general manager, much, much more than Joe Girardi. If they turn it around, then you can point the finger to him. But right now, I, I don't blame Joe Girardi. But there is a big MLB series going on this weekend. Uh, there's the New York Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers, the two best teams in the NL face off. Their first game was yesterday of the four games. Defense battle, no Francisco Lindor. Can you believe he slammed his door in the hotel room so he couldn't play? Who does that? Who does that? I, I read that and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. 
out of all things, not to play? Because you slam your finger in a hotel door? Uh, uh, it's, it's a bit uh, much, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow. Uh, but you had two good pitchers, Gunsolin and Walker, going up to uh, pitch. You know, both of them undefeated until this point where the Mets, Walker, uh, lost, you know, 2-0. It was a defensive, it was a tight game. To me, these clearly are the two best teams. And we'll see tonight. Chris Bassett has been shaky lately. Tyler Anderson for the Dodgers has been strong. Mets rotation is still not where it's at yet. Scherzer's not there. Uh, DeGrom's not there. But once they get there, to me, to me, they're better uh, than the Dodgers. But this is a good indication. A good measuring stick is facing the Dodgers. And my Mets can do it. And then I'm just going to wrap up before the weekend with this question is, being a fan of greatness, goats of that matter, and Lionel Messi is one of them. To me, he's the greatest soccer player of all time. So the question is, can Lionel Messi win the World Cup? Argentina, 32 matches in a row where they have not lost. Dating back to 2019, it's one of the longest streaks ever in the longest active streak. The longest is Italy at 37, and that was snapped later uh, or earlier this year. So the Messi... Like I said, they won Copa America last year. They just won the Champions Cup a couple days ago, beating Italy, which was the Unification Cup. So they really only have a couple games left before, or matches left before the World Cup starts. And Lionel Messi is rounding into form. He's taken the leadership, taken this, you know, national, uh, you know, stage seriously. He's been better than ever. I'm very much looking forward to the World Cup, and my money's on Lionel Messi to take home the gold and the glory. Uh, I just want to wrap up with that. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.